You are listening to the Discovery City Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about us, including our location and service times, please visit us at discoverycitychurch.com. We hope this sermon will encourage and build your faith as you pursue God, community, and influence within your world. Now, the message from our lead pastor, Caleb York. Simple. We are on our second week of our series, Simple. Really wanting to get back to the simple things, not only of Christmas, but the simple things of God. The simple things of God. You know, early on, when I was about third or fourth grade, I began to play the sport of football. We had a coach in our church, and he had convinced my mom to let my older brothers play for the school. And so that really opened up the possibility for me and my younger brother, Dan, to play football. So about third, fourth grade, we began Mighty Might Football. And early on, I had an advantage over other kids. I had a growth spurt that happened really early on in my life. And so I actually was about a head taller than most of the kids in those early grades. And so I was able to actually kind of push them around a little bit. I had a little bit more weight. I was, they were still just kind of really small guys and I was able to push them around. And, I, and so my coach set me up with a position of defensive end. I loved playing that position because guess what? I loved sacking the quarterback. There was something about hitting the quarterback and taking him out and knowing that you made a play that impacted your team. I loved doing that. But as I got older, something happened. All the guys caught up with me. And my growth spurt stopped. I was like done. And as you can see, I'm not a super tall person. I'm average height, six foot. And so they caught up with me and that position didn't work for me anymore. They were actually starting to push me around and actually I couldn't keep up. And as a kid, I was actually really skinny. I was like a bean pole. If you want to go see how skinny I was, you go look at my son, Jack. That's how skinny I was. Like I was skin and bones. And so that position didn't work on defense anymore. And so the coach said, hey, let's try something different. I'm going to put you at wide receiver because you seem like you're really fast at running away from people. And you seem really skinny. And because when you're skinny, it's easy to get out of people's grasp. It's easy to slip out of people's grasp. Let's try this wide receiver position. I want you to play offense. And I love the idea of playing offense because then guess what? You know, defense was cool. You got to shut down the quarterback. But when you're playing offense, you get a chance to actually impact the scoreboard. You get a chance to put points on the scoreboard. And so I'm like, man, I would love to do that. I want to run. I want to I be a wide receiver. I loved playing football growing up. And just how, like, how football is played is how many Christians live the Christian life. Most of them, guess what? They love to play defense. They love to play defense. And what their life looks like is this. They come to church, they go through the motions, they play church, and then their Christian walk consists of them just hitting and criticizing other people. They love to play defense in the church. That's like the only role that their Christian walk actually plays. And today my prayer is this. My prayer for you is this. Today, by the end of this service, that you would be willing to say, God, I want to run the ball for you. I don't want to play defense anymore. I don't want to criticize people. I don't want to hit people. I want to play offense. I want to impact this world for you. Instead of living a purposeless life. Because the truth is, God has called us to a lot more than most Christians are settling for. He's called us to so much 
more. But yet I see so many Christians, they'd rather just stay back, play defense, hit some people, criticize people, criticize the church, when they have so much more that they're missing out on. My prayer is that by the end of this message, you'd be saying, God, I wanna run the ball for you. I wanna run the ball for you at work in front of my coworkers. I wanna run the ball for you in my home, in front of my family. I wanna be the leader that you want me to be. God, I wanna do what you've called me to do. That's my desire this morning. Because at the end of the day, we need to understand that Jesus is not just the reason for the season. He's not just the reason for the season at this time of year. Jesus is the reason for life. He is the reason for everything that we do. We've got to stop compartmentalizing him to Christmas time. He's the reason for everything we do throughout the year. And whether you're here today because guess what? You're gravitating towards Jesus because it's Christmas time or you're here because this is what people do at Christmas time and they come to church. No matter why you're here, we need to understand this, that the story of Jesus is not just a Christmas story. It's not just a Christmas story. It's a complete life story. And he wants to affect every area of your life. Not just the little bit that we give him. Like I told you earlier, maybe you were here last week and maybe you're ready to say, God, I wanna be a part of impacting this world. I wanna be a part of what you're doing in this world. If that's where you're at today, I want you to really listen in. I want you to dial in on what we're gonna be talking about. One thing I learned early on in football is that the best players were the ones that listened to their coach. I think that principle is the same. It's, it's true for Christians today. The ones that God uses are the ones that are willing to listen to their coach, that being God himself. Do we listen to God? If your life is not making the impact that you want it to make, but you truly want to make an impact, listen to your coach. And when you do, you're going to see that five things, there are five things he will always call us to. Five things he will always call us to. And if you look at your notes, and your service guide this morning, the first note is this. We have five things God will always call us to if we as Christians listen to him and follow what he says. Five things he will always call us to. The first thing is this. He will always call us to move. He will always call us to move. He will never call you to just sit. He'll never call you just to become part of the scenery. He will always call us to move. If you want to make an impact for him, he's going to call you to move. This morning, I wanted to take a, a quick poll with everyone that's here. So, but I have to preface it with this. Be honest. Don't lie. Tell the truth. We're at church this morning. All right. Are you ready for this? How many of you set an alarm in the morning for work? How many of you set an alarm? You gotta set an alarm. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us, we set an alarm for work. Now let me ask this, don't lie. How many of you hit the snooze button on that alarm? All right, we got, we got some snoozers. All right, I got a few snoozers. We're getting so-so over here. How about this? How many of you, do you hit the snooze button more than once? We got any more than one? <laughs> We get them. All right, Kimberly's our winner today. I, I didn't know how far it would go, but Kimberly won with the two snooze button alarm. Yeah, listen, we, we, all, we all have those times we hit the snooze button. Now, let me ask you this. What is on time for you? 
What is on time for you when it comes to work? Now, some people, if they're not 10 minutes before the time they're supposed to be there, they're late. How many are like that? If you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. You're not there on time. All right, have a crown. Now there's another group. And this second group, if they cross the threshold of the door and they have to be there at nine o'clock between nine and 9.01, they're on time. Is anybody like that in here this morning? Like you cross the threshold. I'm the same way. I don't like to be early because then you're that awkward person standing there and just like, where's everybody at? I like to be right on time, every time. That's how I am too. You know, in America, our culture of on time is we get as close to the line of on time as possible. And the truth is the same thing happens for Christians. Instead of asking God, God, how close can I walk with you? We ask God, God, how close can I get to sin without sinning? How close can I get to the line of sin without stepping over? That's the culture that so many Christians have when it comes to following God. And then guess what happens? Once they sin, then they say, God, how long can I get away with this sin without somebody figuring out? And then when somebody figures out, God, how do I get back to the place where I was before I got caught? I find so many Christians, they eventually end up asking God for permission rather than just following him in obedience in the first place. And so this morning, I want to look at two people who were used by God in a great way because they weren't asking, what can I get away with, God? They were saying, God, how close can I walk with you? How closely can I walk with you? So this morning, I want to look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to continue reading where we left off last week. Luke chapter 2, verse 21 is where we're going to pick up. It reads, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Right here, we've got some things going on that are really kind of hard for us to understand. The truth is, we don't do this anymore. This was something that was a part of the Jewish culture. This is something they did that the law told them to do. We don't do this with our firstborn. We don't, we don't release turtle doves and have a sacrifice and hang out with pigeons and things like that. That's not what we do. But we see Mary and Joseph right here. They bring Jesus to the temple. And what are they doing? They're following what the word of God said. They're not saying, what can I get away with, God? They, they read the word of God, and it tells them what to do, and guess what? They did it. And if you say, I want to make an impact on my world, I want to make an impact on my community, I want to make an impact and leave a legacy, you have got to be a person that chooses to follow the word of God, and not only follows it, but follows it consistently. Christians love to seek God's permission rather than doing what he already said. I've had so many people, even as a youth pastor, I've had leaders, adult leaders walk to me and say, Caleb, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? I I mean, I know what the Bible says, but what do you think about it? They come to me and they seek permission. Like they're trying to find a loophole in what God says so they can get around it. So many Christians are trying to 
seek permission rather than just doing what God told them to do in the first place. Mary and Joseph are doing what God says. If we keep reading verse 25, it says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That phrase right there, consolation of Israel, is a phrase used to describe the Savior or the Messiah that was coming to save the world. So he's waiting for the Savior. This man has been waiting his whole life. Not just a short period. He's been waiting his whole life. He's an old man now. He's elderly. He's been waiting for the Savior. If we keep reading verse 25, it says this. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. In other words, he was a follower of God. It says he was devout. He was a true follower of God. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He wouldn't die before he saw the Savior. That's what that verse is talking about there. He, he was going to live forever until he saw Jesus. And then verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And that first part of 27 right there, it's talking about how he was moved by God. God moved him to go to the temple. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. It moved him to go to that place. And one thing I find so amazing right here is Mary and Joseph, they're doing what the Bible says they should do. And then Simeon is following the Spirit of God. And guess what happens? They wind up at the same destination. They wind up at the same exact place. And so many people, I want you to understand this, they read this part and they miss a very huge point. And this is the huge point we've got to catch. God's word will always agree with what God calls us to do in our life. His word will always agree with it. But yet so many Christians, hey, I need permission. I need to figure out some way around this because it's not working out. I don't like what the Bible's telling me. You know what? His word always agrees with what God's calling you to do. As a youth pastor, I had so many teenage girls that would come up to me and they would begin to say, talk about this boy that they're dating. This boy that they met at school and they're dating and they're, they're trying, I'm really trying to bring him to church because I know he needs Jesus. And I feel like God's calling me to reach them this way. And I'd always go up to him and can I say this? I, as a youth pastor, I didn't get along with the girls very well because they didn't like what I had to say. I would say, no, he didn't. He didn't call you to do that. You want to know why? Because his word says differently. He didn't call you to go reach them and date them and that's how you're going to bring them to Jesus. That's not what he intended for you. That wasn't his plan. His word says different. He wouldn't tell you to do that. We have a God who is perfect and he cannot contradict himself. I tell you this, me and Amanda, we've got some friends back in Pittsburgh right now who their marriage is, it's struggling. It's hurting. It's on the, the verge of divorce. Can I tell you this? As we talk to the different spouses, as I talk to the man and Amanda talks to the wife, how so many times we hear them trying to justify the reason for them getting divorced. They try to justify it. They try to find all these other reasons why they should be able to get divorced and the truth of them is none of them line up with the parameters that God has given us in his word. 
None of them line up. It's in their own little world. It's in their own little mind and the way they understand it because the Bible says, what the Bible says is what God says. We can't make up what we want. We can't choose and pick and decide to alter things. What God's word said is what he says. Can I tell you this? If God ever speaks to you and he says something different than what his word says, that's not God. The Bible is very clear. And if you're here today and you say, God, I want to move the ball for you, you need to understand that he is always going to call you to do something that his word agrees with. And for the next few minutes, I want to read some verses to you because this is what God says. These are things that people in our world and our culture don't agree with. But I'm going to read them. And I want you to understand this. This is what God says. This is not Caleb here speaking. This is not me. Don't shoot the messenger. This is God. If we see Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave You, we've got a world that's full of people who have forgiveness issues and they want to say, you know, it's an eye for an eye and I'm going to get mine and you know what, they're going to get what they deserve and they sit there and hold on to this, these, these, they hold on to forgiveness. They're not willing to forgive. They're not willing to forget. They hold on to that bitterness and God says, get rid of it. It has no business being in your heart. Ephesians 5.22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Can I tell you this? That's not popular today. That's not popular today. Wives don't want to submit. And I don't think it has anything to do with being a weaker being or anything like that. It's the way God has designed us. He's designed us with different roles and different parts to play in this world and in our families. It's not to lower you. It's not to make you feel less. It's the role that he has for you as the wife. But guess what? Men, we don't get off the hook. Husbands, here we go. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, we need to have the same type of love and protection for our wives. But so many times do we love and protect our wives like we should. Or do we open them up for attack? Man, I heard a guy one time say, you know what? I told her I loved her the day I married her. And if it ever changed, I'd let her know. That's not the love that Jesus had for the church. Do we love and protect our wives the way we're supposed to? Because that's not very popular nowadays. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it will, may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm not a child anymore. Guess what? You're a child of someone. Everyone in here is a child of someone. Do you honor your mother and father? Do we honor them? Do we truly honor them or do we talk down to them? Do we treat them like dirt? What does it say? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, it's your job to teach them. Well, I dropped them off at church. I'm teaching them right there. No, you dropped them off. That's all you did. It's our job to teach them and instruct them in the ways that they're supposed to go. Let me ask you this. When was the last time your kids heard the name of God come out of your mouth and it wasn't derogatory? 
What are you teaching your kids? What are you teaching them? 2 Corinthians 9, 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Are you a gracious person? Are you a giver? Are you giving or are you stingy? Are you holding back? Because God says, guess what? If you're gonna give, guess what? I'm gonna give to you. If you're gonna hold back, I'm gonna hold back from you. Are we a good giver? Are we a sparing giver? If any of this hits you, That wasn't me. That's God right there. And he's saying, if you want to run the ball for me, if you want to be on my team, if you want to move the ball down the field any further and make an impact on this world and not just make another paycheck and not just survive another day of life, if you really want to be a part of what I'm doing, deal with this stuff. Deal with it because God will always call us to move. Secondly, Second thing I see is God will always call us to worship. He will always call us to worship. My kids, they get so excited when my parents, Grammy and Papa, come to town. They get so excited. But one thing I'm trying to teach them is this. When Grammy and Papa walk in the door of our house, don't let the first things that come out of your mouth be, did you bring me presents? Did you bring me presents? Grammy Papa presents. That's like the first thing that flies out of their mouth. I've got an, 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 a nine-year-old and 10-year-old. That's the first thing that comes out of my mouth. You bring us presents, we get on FaceTime. Are you going to bring us presents? I don't want them to just look forward to the things that Grammy and Papa bring them. I want them to actually be excited about seeing Grammy and Papa and being around them and being in their presence. Can I tell you this? There's so many Christians that care more about what God can do for them than actually just being in his presence. True worship is when we push everything else out of the way. We push everything else out of the way so that we can be closer to him than anything else. That's what true worship is. And so if you're here today and you're not here to be in the presence of God, If you're here this morning, you're thinking, what can God do for me? Can he take his magic God dust and sprinkle it on my work situation? Can he take his magic dust and sprinkle it on my finances and watch my bank accounts rise and see my my life just become good? If we're more concerned about what God can do for us than actually just being in his presence, there's something wrong with that. When you really want to do something for God in your life, you'll realize one of the first things he calls us to do is worship him. It's one of the first things he calls us to do. And Simeon didn't, he wasn't gonna miss out on Jesus. He wasn't more concerned about what Jesus was gonna do for him. He was more concerned about not missing out on Jesus. If we look at verse 28, he says this, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now I want you to imagine this picture right here. Simeon walks up and he takes eight-day-old baby Jesus in his arms and begins to dance around and praise God and bless him. I don't know about you, but that's weird. Could you imagine some old man coming to church and picking up your baby? I, I don't know about you guys, but I would get that baby away from that old man and probably scissor kick him. All right, I'm just saying. Because it's like, don't touch my baby. But that's what Simeon does. He comes in, he picks up eight-day-old baby Jesus and he begins to bless him and he begins to praise and he's so excited. Simeon was passionate about being in the presence of Jesus. 
because his whole life had led up to this very moment right here. And he was willing to risk ridicule. He was willing to risk uh, judgment. He was willing to risk people misunderstanding to get a little bit closer to Jesus. That's what worship is. When we push everything out of the way and say, God, I want to be closer to you than anything else. I tell you this, music helps with that. Music helps us do that. When we are singing, it helps us focus in on him and push out all the other thoughts that are going on in the world in our head. Not only does music do that, but even it's not just music. It's how we live our lives. And I have to say this, this next point right here, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Can I say this? There are weeks where I'm more concerned about the church than I am about meeting God. There are weeks I have to catch myself and say, you know what, why are you really doing this? Is it just to bring a service together for for people once a week? Are you truly wanting to meet God? And the truth is, if that's something that I'm dealing with, I'm sure everyone else deals with that too where we get so focused on everything else and we don't really focus in on meeting God and being in his presence. When you say, God, I wanna be used by you, he's gonna say, do you really have the right perspective of me? Do you really worship me? If you want the ball, you have to worship God. And it's more than just showing up on Sunday. It's more than just showing up once a week. You have to worship him all week long. I tell you this as a church planner, as a pastor, God has given me this amazing passion for families. I have this huge passion for families. And can I say this more specifically? Parents. Parents. I see so many parents, they bring their kids to church and their hope is that their kids will get a chance to see them worship. And through that one time a week that it'll show them that guess what? I worship God. I come to church and I put my hands up and I close my eyes and I sing the songs and I'm, my hope is that my kids see that and through that, they're impacted by God. Can I tell you this? They're not. That doesn't impact them. It's not having the impact that you think it has. It's when you worship him all week long that they begin to see what you truly worship. Can I tell you this? We have some bad dads in the Christian world today. We have some bad dads. Because when you never miss a game on Saturday, but church is optional, there's something wrong with that. You're teaching your kids to worship, whether you like it or not. You're teaching them to worship something. Well, I don't have to be at church to worship him. Oh yeah, then why did Jesus build the church? Why did he die for the church? Why, why did he do all that he did for the church? So that you wouldn't be there? If you continuously raise them and direct them and you don't direct them in the way that they go, can I tell you this? They're gonna get messed up. It's gonna happen. And I don't say that just because I can say it. I say it from experience. I say it from years of being a youth pastor and watching parents bring their kids in and say, hey, can you fix my kid? They don't go to the coaches and say, coach, fix my kid. They don't go to the the teams and say, fix my kid. They come to the church. And you know what the problem is? By the time they bring their kids to the church, it's too late. And the truth is, those kids, guess what? They're just emulating what you taught them to do. 
They're just doing what you taught them to do. They're worshiping what you worship. When you want to move the ball for God, you've got to be willing to do whatever he calls you to do. You need to understand worship. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Whatever you want me to do, God, whatever, wherever you want me to go, I'll do it. I'll do it. Simeon, his whole life was based on one interaction with Jesus. And look what happens. That short interaction with Jesus and thousands of years later, guess what? We're still talking about him. We're still talking about this man, Simeon. He had such a small task to do. And even if you're doing the smallest task for God, it has, the, it has deeper purpose than everything else that we try to fill up our life with according to what the world says. Because the world's caught up in fame and what you've done and what you've built. Can I tell you this? How many men, they get so focused in in their jobs and what I've built with my hands and I built this building and I built this company. But you know what? In a hundred years, no one's gonna know about it. No one's gonna know who you are. But thousands of years later, we're still talking about this man, Simeon, who did what God asked him to do. And it only lasted a couple of minutes. But you know what? He understood Worship. Thirdly, God will always call us to recognize. God will always call us to recognize. He'll always call us to recognize that life is more about him than it is about us. It's more about him than it is about us. There are so many people that are struggling with family issues. They're struggling with depression, financial issues. Can I tell you this? Those can be very overwhelming in your life when your life is all about you. When everything's about us, those things overwhelm us. We have to recognize that life is not about us. It's about Christ. When I was a sophomore in college, we had a game night one night. We, uh, we played the game Monopoly. Any Monopoly fans in the room? Yes. There we go. Now we're talking. We played the game Monopoly. It was a humongous game. We had all these guys on our floor. We played for hours upon hours. And when I first start out the game Monopoly, I play it real cool. All right. I don't get all worked up. I don't get all excited. I don't get angry. I'm just like, you know what? I might get knocked out real soon in the game. So I'm just going to just have a friendly game. Well, this night things really started working out for me. And I got down to the final three people left in the game. I mean, I was getting excited, dude. I was laughing every time someone landed on my properties. I remember I got, uh, I got Boardwalk and whatever properties next to it, I can't remember right now, but I got those two highest, uh, highest valued properties. And I began to put houses on it and then eventually rolled over to hotels, man. I was cleaning house as people were landing on my two properties right there. And so it was down to me and two other guys, another guy named Tyler on my floor and my RA, his name's Jared. And so Jared threw a roll and bingo, landed right on my property. Can I tell you this? I almost cleaned him out completely. He cleaned out all of his money. He started to, to mortgage some of his properties, things like that. I cleaned out as much as I could, but he still had a lot of properties. He was able to save his properties. And so Jared, trying to be strategic and let me say this, and to spite me, 
because we were good friends. He's actually my older brother's best friend. So to spite me, he turns to Tyler and says, Tyler, I'm going to give you all of my properties. I'm like, no, 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 you can't do it. You can't just give them your properties, Jared. You can't do that. And so he goes, well, this is what I'm going to do then. He found a loophole in the rules. I'm going to sell all my properties to Tyler for $1. Tyler, would you like to buy all my properties for $1? And Tyler said, yes, I would. And I'm like, you can't do that. My little brother was a freshman. He's sitting there right next to me. He's like, dude, you guys are cheaters. You can't do that. Yes, we can. We got the rules right here. We got the loophole. And they begin to go through this process of giving all those properties to Tyler for a dollar. Well, I've got to say, short, you know, long story short, I lost that game. But can I tell you this? I was so ticked. I was so ticked. I mean, my little brother was there and he was like, dude, this is messed up. You guys are wrong. You can't do that. And I remember I walked out of the room and I'm like, dude, you guys are a bunch of cheaters, man. I was ready to flip the table. I was so irritated. Why? Because I'm a selfish person. I wanted to win. I wanted to win. It's a, I want to win. I didn't go in there to lose. I want to win. I'm a selfish person. Can I say this? We're all selfish. We're all selfish. There's nobody in here that's not. We all have this selfishness inside of us. I want to win because I'm a selfish person. And when we look at our lives over time, we become overwhelmed by all of our problems, which is what Satan wants. And I hear so many people say, you know, poor me, I'm all by myself. And you know what? No one's written me a letter in two days. And I'm just, it, it, me, 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 me. I hear people say that all the time. Because guess what? Their eyes are focused on themselves. We're selfish people. We're always trying to focus in on ourselves. You can't be used by God when your eyes are on yourself. Until your eyes are put on him I tell you this, I've never accomplished anything for God being obsessed with who I am over who he is. It's never happened. We've got to take our eyes off of ourselves. Simeon completely got this. If we look at verse 29, he says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Right there, Simeon says, guess what, God? I'm ready. I've done what you told me to do. I'm ready to die in peace. Could you imagine that? I've waited my whole life for this one event and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die. Simeon understood the role that he had to play and that it was all about Jesus. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his life. It wasn't about his impact. It was all about Jesus. When you decide, God, I'm gonna listen to you. I wanna be a part of what you're doing. Not a part of what I'm doing. I wanna be a part of what you're doing. He will always call us to recognize him. We see the story of Isaiah in the Old Testament. God comes to him in a dream and brings him before the throne of God. And what do we see Isaiah do? Wow, this is a beautiful place. I love, I love what you've done with everything. I love all the gold accent. It's beautiful. What is he? No, that's not what he does. It says that he falls to his knees and he says, I am ruined because he realizes that it's all about God. Life is all about God. And guess what? Someday when we stand before the throne of God, we are gonna have the same reaction. We are ruined because it's not about us. It's all about him. 
When we recognize that the story that God is writing in this world is a blockbuster and you and I are not the story, we're not the star of the story. We're not the star of that movie. Can I tell you this? We're the extras in the background. That's who we are. We're the extras. Jesus is the star. It's all about him. We're not even a supporting actor. When you understand that you have a role to play, that's when God can use you. When you understand it's all about him. But when you think the story's all about you, God can't use you. He can't use you. We see another man, John the Baptist, who God used in a great way because he was used to prepare the way for the Savior. But what do we see happen? We see that John the Baptist in those days was a rock star. He was a rock star. He wore his fur coats and ate honey and lived out in the woods, but he was a rock star. People would actually travel about 60 miles to come and be baptized by John the Baptist and to hear him speak. He was a big deal back then. But what does John say in John 3.30? He says this, he must increase. He's talking about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. The more he got this right here, guess what? The more opportunity God gave him to be used. And he's still being talked about today. He understood this idea. When he said he must increase, he knew that it's not about me. He said, I must decrease. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's all about Jesus. When we recognize that, there will be a role for you to play and God can use you. Fourthly, when you listen to God, he will always call us to salvation. He will always call us to salvation. We look at verse 30. It says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. When Simeon got close to Jesus, all he could talk about was salvation. That's all he could talk about right here. That's all he could think about. And if you want to be used by God, that's what you need to be able to talk about. You know what's sad today? We see so many Christians, a lot of Christians today, who are not willing to talk about their own salvation. They're not willing to talk to someone about their own salvation. Not only that, guess what? They're not willing to tell others about the, the salvation that Jesus offers. Simeon was willing to talk about it. I tell you this, we've knocked so many doors here in this area. I've knocked doors over in Hilliard. How many Christians I've run into where I ask them, do you know for sure if you die today that you go to heaven? They would say, they would say yes. Well, how do you know? Well, it's, I have a personal relationship and it's, it's private. I can't, I can't, I don't want to talk about it. I can't tell you about it. And you know what I tell those people? No, it's not. It's not private. It's not personal. The Bible tells us that we need to be ready in season and out to share the hope that he, we have in him. We are not supposed to hide this. It's not something we keep secret. It's not something just for us and nobody else. And maybe you're here this morning and there's a reason you don't want to talk about it because you're not sure there was ever a time that you actually committed your life to Christ. There was never a time you realized you're a sinner and you need Jesus and you're separated from God because of your sin. Can I tell you this? If you continue down this path without Jesus interceding, you will be destroyed. The Bible tells us that God created a place called hell. And hell was created so that Jesus, so God could destroy sin 
and Satan and his demons. Because we're sinners. If Jesus doesn't intercede in our life, if he doesn't become the Lord of our life, guess what? That's our destination. That's where we go. I hear so many people, well, I believe in God. Guess what? James tells us in the Bible that Satan and his demons believe in God too. And not only that, they believe and tremble. Are they going to heaven? No. It's more than just, I believe in God. It's a commitment. Have you ever committed your life to Jesus? Has there been a time where you said, Jesus, I'm lost without you and I need you to save me? If there's been a time that you've done that, have you told anyone else about it? Have you told anyone else about it? Simeon was not afraid to talk about salvation. When was the last time, when we see Jesus the last time, he tells us before he leaves this world, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the story of salvation to every creature. That's what he calls us to do. Go into all the world. And if you're not willing to talk about your salvation or the salvation that Jesus offers, he can't use you. He can't use your life. If you want to be used by God, he will always call us to talk about salvation because it's the purpose that we're here to tell everyone else about Jesus. When you say, God, I want to move the ball for you, he'll always call you to salvation. When was that time for you? When was that time for you? If you can't think of anything, why not today? Why not today? Lastly, when you decide, God, I want to do something for you. I want to run the ball for you. I want to play a role. He will always call us to fight. He will always call us to fight. This morning, you're here and you've never asked Jesus to save you. You've never committed your life to Jesus. I'm not going to lie. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart today, things might get worse. Things might get worse in your life before they get better. Things aren't going to be perfect. Your bank account isn't going to go up. Your family life isn't going to just get better. Things might just get worse before they get better. The reason why is because Satan is our opposition. We have an enemy. We have an opponent in this world who is out to destroy us. He doesn't want you telling people about Jesus. He wants you to stay hunkered down. He wants you to be private and personal. He doesn't want you living the life that God truly wants you to have. And when you decide that instead of playing defense and just hitting other people and criticizing people and say, I wanna be used by you, I wanna run the ball for you, you had better get ready for opposition to come your way because Satan wants to destroy you. If we look at verse 33, it says this, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him being Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, if there's never been a time where you've accepted him, he will be the reason for your falling. Because you rejected him in this life. But if you've accepted him, if you've accepted him as your personal savior, he is the reason for your rising. He's the reason for your rising. Simeon knew this even before Jesus died on the cross. Look what he says right here in verse 34. Or continuing verse 33 into 34. He says this, For a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul. 
What do we see right here? Could you imagine this? Someone comes up to you, you got your brand new baby, and they say, that baby's gonna do some amazing things. But that baby's gonna be like a sword going through you. That's what Simeon said to to Mary, Jesus' mother right there. This baby is gonna do some great things, but it's also gonna cause you some great pain. And we see that comes true. When Jesus dies on the cross, where is his mother Mary? She's right there watching him. Watching him die for our sins. 33 years later. But guess what happens? That all changes three days later when he rose from the dead. And she no longer called him son. What does she say? She she calls him savior. Her life was completely changed because of what he had done. And if you're in the room today and your life has been changed by Jesus, it's not gonna be easy. We will go through opposition. We will go through family issues, financial issues, physical issues. We go through them. We go through these things, but ultimately they help us see Jesus more clearly. If you're a Christian or a new Christian He's just starting with you. He's just started with you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, he wants to get started with you. He wants to bring a new journey into your life. It's not gonna be easy. It'll be hard. You'll have to fight. But can I tell you this? It's worth it. It's worth it. My question for you today is if you don't know Jesus as your savior, why not today? Why not today? If you want to be used by him, he will always call you to salvation. When was the time for you? If you've been saved, what role are you playing for God in this world today? What role are you playing? You may not be the star, you may not be the supporting actor or actress, but what role does he have for you? What role does he have for you to play in this world, to impact it for him? Maybe one of you, you're here this morning, and one of those things we read was a roadblock for you. Can I tell you this? God's calling you to worship. God's calling you to worship him, and you're still trying to worship everything else. God's calling you to recognize that it's all about him. Stop throwing your pity party. Stop putting your eyes on yourself and saying, you know, woe is me, look at my life. Put your eyes on him and say, God, what do you want me to do? What is it for you? Today's the day. Today, it can just be another day where you come to church and you hear another message, you go through another service, and then you leave here and nothing changes. But what if today you decided God, I want to I want the ball. I want to play offense. I want to run the ball for you. I want to move the ball down the field. God, use me. Today's the day you start a brand new life of being used by Christ like never before. Why not today? Would you do this? Could I have everybody stand, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around? I just want to have a short time of invitation. Maybe this morning God's speaking to you. 
Maybe you're here and something hits you. God's word's powerful. It speaks to us. It moves us. Maybe this morning you heard something that spoke to you. Would you be willing to say, Pastor Caleb, I've got something going on in my life. Something hit me this morning. Would you pray for me? Would you be willing to do this? Would you be willing to raise your hand and just say, would you pray for me? I'm looking around. Something hit me this morning and I need you to pray for me. Anyone like that? Maybe this morning you're saying, you know what? I haven't been sharing Jesus. I haven't been telling others about Jesus and how he's changed my life and how he can change their life. But I know God wants me to. I know he wants me to. Would you say, hey, would you pray for me? I need to be the witness that I'm supposed to be. Would you do that this morning? Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to point you out. I just want to pray for you. Maybe this morning you say, you know what? You talked about that day. That day where I have I accepted Jesus. And this morning, I don't think I ever have. I don't know if I've ever asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I don't know if I've ever committed my life to him. Would you do this? Would you be willing to look up and just catch my eye? I just want to pray for you. There's never been a time where I asked Jesus to come into my heart and to save me. Would you look up and catch my eye? I always want to pray for you. God, we love you. We just thank you for how great you are and how you continue to move, how you continue to work. Lord, I pray that you would continue to just move in this church like never before, that you would begin to ignite fires in hearts, that they would go out and they'd begin to share your message. Lord, this church is gonna grow when you begin to work in hearts. When people are willing to go out and share this salvation that Jesus offers, that's where we're going to see your work take place. Lord, I pray that there was a desire, there's a, a fire ignited in hearts this morning to go out and to share, to take this to their workplaces, to take this to their home, to take this to their families, and to be willing to tell them about Jesus. Because you bring life change. It's not about us, it's all about you. God, we love you. We praise you in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Discovery City Church podcast. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to help us continue to help others, you can give online at discoverycitychurch.com slash give.